Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Daisy Jones and the Six. Daisy Jones and the Six was written by Taylor Jenkins Reid and was published in 2019. And the series premiered on Amazon Prime in 2023. And this is actually a patron-requested episode. Our uh, patron, Bree, asked us to do this, and we were already kind of thinking that we might like to do this episode, so we were happy to agree to her request (laughs) (laughs) to cover this episode. Um, This is a book that I read around when it first came out. Yeah, it was really popular, I know. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it. It was part of uh, Reese Witherspoon's book club, and then it entered into development to become a show. There were some issues with COVID, so it took a lot longer, I think, to become a show than it would have normally, but now we have it. Yes, and interesting, I don't know how tied to the show this is or the book, but the book, the author has said she was heavily inspired by, I mean, multiple real-life bands and their kind of like inner dynamics and conflicts and drama, but specifically Fleetwood Mac. Yes. Right? And Fleetwood Mac has also been, like, gaining a kind of resurgence recently on, like, TikTok and other social media platforms. I mean, I think because of this show. That's what I'm wondering. I'm like, I feel like they have to be tied together, yeah. right? Yeah. Specifically the 1997 Silver Springs performance mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the looks between Stevie Nicks and... Lindsay Buckingham. Lindsay Buckingham. Uh, yeah, people have been sharing that one clip particularly online, but, I mean, Fleetwood Mac... Between the different relationships in the band and the drama and people uh, dropping out of the band. Yeah. And like the stories, I mean, specifically behind the album Rumors, which was kind of written and recorded during Nick's and Buckingham's divorce. Yeah. And also the divorce between two other members of the band. As yeah. Well. well, I guess Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham were not married. That's right. Yeah. They were splitting up, but an- another couple in the band was getting divorced. Yeah. They could do a movie on that. I'm like, why haven't we had a movie on that? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like it sounds like there's so many uh, juicy tidbits there. And it's funny because like, even though there's a lot of drama in this book and show, it really feels like it might not even be as much as... Was it does a, not scratch the surface. What was in Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, if anything, this is selling it short I know, a there's, bit. like, still Fleetwood Mac drama. Yeah. Like, still. They keep so. coming back for more. <laughs> they keep resurging. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of funny how the Fleetwood Mac rise has kind of coincided with this show coming out and its popularity. Yeah, it definitely inspired me to re-listen to some of their most popular albums. So yes. I, I did enjoy that. Yeah, I really want to get rumors on vinyl, which I've been wanting to for a while. Yeah. So let's talk about Daisy Jones and the Six, Ian. Yeah, let's start off by talking about the Six, which is uh, the band that, you know, Daisy Jones later becomes a part of. And they begin in our home city, Pittsburgh. Even though they didn't film here. I know. I I guess I didn't technically look it up, but it feels very obvious that they just filmed. There's nothing distinctive about any of the locations. No, they throw in a few like Steelers and Iron City beer references. And that's I appreciated the Iron City beer can, (laughs) the local beer of Pittsburgh. That that detail popped out to me immediately. But yeah, overall, it feels like uh, it very easily could have been shot anywhere. Yeah. And we have Billy Dunn and his brother Graham starting this band, you know, in the late 60s, yeah. early 70s. And, you know, the two of them kind of bringing in some of their high school friends as well. We have 
a couple different people here. We have Eddie, we have Warren, and in the book, we have Pete. Yeah, Pete is Eddie's brother. And actually, in the book, he's not interviewed at all. Except at the end. Except at the end, which I didn't realize, honestly, the entire time. So it makes sense that they didn't include him in the show. Yeah. However, Adina... (laughs) It brings the total number of band members of the six down to five. I know. I get why they cut Pete, because literally he doesn't talk the whole no. book. And he's just an extra man. But yes, I agree. It's a it's a problem. And they kind of imply that Camila is the sixth member. Yeah. But it still doesn't quite work. In the book, there are actually six members. Yeah. Like, they make jokes about it. Because at one point, someone drops out and they're like, wait, so you're still going to be called the six, even though there's four of you? And they're like, yeah, it's funny. And I'm like, it's weird, though, right? It's like a little weird. (laughs) Well, and in the book, there's this other character, Chuck, who was originally in the band, who has to go to Vietnam and dies. Yeah. I thought this was a really interesting detail that I'm kind of shocked the book did or the show didn't keep. I know. And that's who they re- they, they replaced Chuck with Eddie at this point in the book. Uh, the show is kind of like, yeah, uh, Chuck is here, but he decides to go to dental school instead and <laughs> drops out of the band. Which is kind of maybe a more realistic and less dramatic thing that would happen. One of them is just like, I don't really think we're going to make it and I don't want to like put all my my time yeah so he stays behind and you get to revisit him later in the show and there's just one moment of him in an interview being like uh (laughs) like he's trying to justify that staying was a good idea but you can leaving or leaving was a good idea I meant staying in Pittsburgh and you can just tell that he like deeply regrets it Uh, We also have Karen joining the band at some point as well, who she uh, is a keyboardist that was in a different band. And, you know, Billy and Graham see her perform and Graham particularly thinks that she would be a really great addition to their band and they get her to join. We also have Camila here, which we mentioned, and she and Billy are in a romantic relationship and she kind of becomes another honorary member of the band, which I guess is where they're going with the six in the yeah. show. Yeah, it, it's kind of she at first isn't going to go to L.A. And in the book, she doesn't. Billy calls her later and gets her to fly out after he gets a record deal. And in the show, there's kind of a weird scene where she doesn't want to go. And her mom's like, you shouldn't go. And then she just shows up and is like, I'm coming. And I'm like, that was a little jarring. In the show, Camila has a photography side hustle going on. And we actually see her taking a lot of photos and videos of the band. And later on, actually starts taking photos of other bands professionally. Yeah. Which I think is cool. Yeah, she has her own thing going on. I have to mention the show. Like, they start off with younger actors portraying these characters, right? And then... We have what I think is maybe the worst, most jarring cut (laughs) to the adult actors I've ever seen, where kind of for no reason, you know, suddenly it's Sam Claflin and not this younger actor, even though we don't have any perspective on time passing. Yeah. And look, Sam Claflin is a handsome guy, okay? But he is all brow, all cheekbones, all jaw. And him standing right under the spotlights <laughs> where all those features are accentuated. I mean, he just suddenly looks like he's 50 years old. I know. He looks like a sad caveman. <laughs> I have in my notes uh, Sam Claflin jump scare. Because <laughs> you're just watching this show normally and all of a sudden you're like, Ugh! Oh, God. <laughs> and like his hair looks bad. He looks older in that moment than he does in the interview portion. I know. That take place like 20 years 20 later. or 30 years later. So it's just, 
I wish shows did a better job of transitioning those moments from like younger to older actors. I know they want to get Sam Claflin in the show as quickly as possible. Yeah. Because he is like the star. But it just was done really sloppily. Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, this book is written in um, like an interview style. Yes. Like the book, it just has like the the character name and it's just like their, it's supposed to be the, their audio. It's like a transcript yeah. of like these interviews. And the show is able to actually show the older versions of them talking in like an interview style to the camera. And then we flash back to the past where we can see the action unfolding. Even though it seems very similar, I think it ends up being kind of different. But I do find this to be an interesting way to tell the story. Yeah, it's different. The book feels like it's being told the interviews are in the present. So these people are now like 70. Yeah. Right. Whereas the show is like, oh, these interviews took place 20 years later. So they're probably more of like the 90s. Yeah. And I wish that like the either the camera quality or something about them felt more 90s. You know what I mean? Because those interviews are filmed kind of in high definition and feel just like the way everything else is filmed. Yeah. And so I wish that they'd done maybe something a little bit more with that. Yeah, I think they chose to only do like a 20 year difference in the show. So as to not have to do a lot of age makeup yeah. on the stars. But I agree with you. I think they could have made it a little more obvious that we were in the 90s. Kind of going back to the story here, though, the six start in Pittsburgh. They kind of get some momentum going and they end up in L.A. And they end up with this record producer, Teddy Price. In the book, he is this really ugly, fat British guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the show is like, why don't we acknowledge the many African-American record producers yeah. of the time and so they have teddy priced uh being played by a black man yeah which i think is a smart decision right and they meet teddy and they convince him to give them a chance they do like the scene where they're like playing their song for him although mm-hmm. it doesn't actually show you that moment it's more like the build-up to that moment but eventually they get the deal right with runner records yes they're able to record their album and then go on tour yeah So they go on tour. Billy immediately (laughs) is just like alcohol and drugs galore. Yeah. Uh, He is just going crazy because at this time he found out that Camila is pregnant. Yeah. And they got married. They got married. And then he's like, "Okay, I'm going to go on tour. BRB. So he is fucking around. He's sleeping with all kinds of women. He's doing all kinds of drugs. In the book, there's a moment where he's like. I mean, I've never done heroin. I have to try it at least once. And I'm like, that's exactly what they say not to do with heroin. You don't try it once. They say heroin, like, it's so good that it just ruins your life after doing it one time. Yeah, Yeah, if there's one drug you shouldn't do once, it's heroin. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, he is just off the rails. Camila ends up trying to surprise him by finding him on tour and, of course, finds him with, like, groupies. Yeah. He's just a mess. And she kind of gives him this speech of, like, listen, honestly, I don't even care what you do for the next two months that I'm pregnant. But when we have our daughter, you're going to show up. Yeah. You're going to be there for her. You're going to take her to fucking ballet practice. Whatever you need to, (laughs) you get your shit together. Yeah. And I kind of like this coming to Jesus moment. Well, I mean, I guess it's not really the coming to Jesus moment for him, but it's her ultimatum Mm -hmm. in a way for him yeah and billy has daddy issues his father left him and graham when they were young and he is definitely afraid of becoming a bad father and just doesn't know how to be a father um but 
you know, he talked about his dad being an alcoholic too. So that's probably a factor with an addictive personality being genetic. And it comes to the point where his daughter, Julia, is born. You know, Teddy picks him up, takes him to the hospital, and Billy can't go inside. He's like... You know, maybe I just don't want to. I kind of thought this was uh, misleading in the show because I thought he was just abandoning Camila. Yeah. He ends up going to rehab and cleaning himself Mm -hmm. up and then returning to Camila and his daughters. So, I mean, I wouldn't even say it's like the wrong move. No. But it just felt like in that moment he was abandoning He was like, bye. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. I I have to say that these first couple episodes of the show – I just wasn't that into. Yeah. It was doing a lot in a little bit of time, and it didn't feel like it was really focusing on anything with enough attention. Yeah, it was so rapid. Like, you get that scene where they run into their dad who abandoned them, and they kind of have this blow-up argument. And this is mentioned in the book, too, except without the argument portion. But in the movie, or in the show, I was just left wondering you know, it happens and then they just move on. What's the point of that scene? Yeah, and it didn't feel like, in the moment at least, that it was, like, contributing to their characters or their plot line or anything. Well, and Billy's, like, addiction and sex addiction, too, is so quick as well. Yeah. And that's supposed to be such a significant part of his character, having that weakness. Yeah. And that, that, that thing that he's struggling with, his sobriety later on, that you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot that that happened. Yes. Yeah. And I think the other thing, too, is that at this point in the show, they are retreading uh, (laughs) well-trodden ground as far as like music biopic films or band movies go. Right. I mean, the band coming together, moving out to L.A., the the desperate attempt to impress a record executive to get their their song they finally go on tour and then the drug use and yes and and the lead singer like falling off the wagon or just being like totally inebriated like all of these beats we have seen they've even been parodied to death yeah in sketch comedy and movies like dewey cox dewey cox thank you yeah like like, they've been parodied to death even. So, like, it's really hard to be, like, that invested in the story when it just feels so totally unoriginal at this point. Yeah, I agree. I think the first two episodes, they have to do a lot of work setting everything up. And yes. so they're kind of slow and a little boring. Uh, alternating with the story of the six and their rise is the story of Daisy Jones. And we see her childhood being really sad because her parents just don't love her. Yeah, there's a scene in the show where she's, like, singing in her room as a child, and her mom just comes in and is like, shut the hell up, you little brat. And (laughs) it's just implied that, like, her parents just, they're wrapped up in their own lives, in their own careers. They totally ignore her. And she's kind of just left to, like, at least emotionally and developmentally just kind of, like, fend for herself. Yeah, and when she's really young, I think in the book she's, like, 15, she starts going to clubs and bars. Yeah. And her parents don't care. They're not looking out for her, right? And so we see this young teenage Daisy Jones who loves music, loves being in the music scene, getting involved in drugs really early, getting involved in drinking really early. And then these older men, often men from bands, end up preying on her. We have a scene in particular where it seems like Daisy might be sexually assaulted. Yeah, she kind of disassociates during the act and then Mm -hmm. is just kind of like left or like kicked out of the room and she's kind of left 
kind of collecting herself emotionally afterwards. And she kind of continues this lifestyle for a while, though, of drugs, of partying. She hangs out with like a lot of artists and musicians. And she clearly has a creative side of her own. She carries around a notebook that she writes lyrics or just thoughts in, like Mm -hmm. scraps of poems or ideas and concepts. And there's multiple times where the men who she's with either like directly take her ideas or they kind of see her as like a muse. Yeah. Like, oh. The manic pixie dream. Yeah, like I'm inspired by how like quirky you are and I'm going to write something about you or I, you know, I'm going to take this thing that you said once and use it in my own song or story. Yeah, and Daisy has this moment in the show and she says it in the book in like the audio recording. I'm using air quotes here where she says, I'm not the muse. I'm the somebody. Yeah. You know, I don't want people to write stuff about me. I want to write this stuff. Yeah. I, I also have conflicts with Daisy's story though, in the show, in these first couple episodes, because I don't think the darker side and the nuance of her, younger years in the band scene are really addressed yeah the fact that i mean once again the transition to the adult actress uh is kind of quick so it's like you're watching an adult woman for most of the time so like that whole aspect of her kind of being sexually assaulted feels like really kind of paved over and not really addressed and the aspects of her kind of being taken advantage of creatively by these men you know there are those moments but You get more of this defiance from her where it feels like those moments don't matter. And it's more like her saying like, oh, I won't be controlled by any man or defined creatively by any man. And I'm my own person. She later meets Teddy Price, the producer, you know, working with the six. And he tries to help her with her career musically. But she's also kind of defined against him. Like when he critiques her songs, she's like, well, maybe you don't know how to listen to them. And yeah, I don't know. It just she kind of feels one dimensional. Like it feels like a very simplistic portrayal of like, you know, the strong female. I can't be tamed. Yeah, I can't be tamed. <laughs> I won't be controlled by any man. Yeah, I do like that. She does start to listen to Teddy, though. Yeah. And that he does inspire her to go deeper with her songwriting and recognize that she can write something a little more complicated and nuanced. We also have her friendship with Simone, who is um, a singer and who sings in a lot of like disco performances at the time. The two of them become very close friends and live together for a while as well. And this is a very important friendship in Daisy's life. Yeah, and kind of a retreat from her home life and her shitty parents. So we're getting to the part where we're almost ready for these two separate stories to come together. In the sixth storyline, Billy, you know, after getting out of rehab and reuniting with his wife and daughter and kind of getting his life back together, starts writing more material. You know, they're trying to get themselves back out there. Yeah. In the show, there's a moment of reluctance from Billy where he doesn't want to go back into the band and music because, you know, that was kind of the environment that he fell into drugs and uh, sex with other women. And during that time, Eddie, who in the book is the rhythm guitarist and in the book is the bassist or in the show is the bassist. Yeah, I believe he wants to become the new front man. Yeah. And we've seen throughout the book and the show, whenever Eddie is interviewed, he just talks about being resentful of Billy and wanting Billy's, position, Billy's authority, feeling like he's under Billy's thumb a lot. 
and wanting to be like the front man. And, and at, at one point he literally is like, I can be the front man if Billy's not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And also the show has this aspect to him where it seems like he's kind of in love with Camila as well. Yeah. I also think it's funny because in the show, his interviews in the in the present or the 90s, he feels like zen about things but in like a fake way yeah and talking about like yeah no you can't hold on to those negative feelings they'll just destroy you but you see him just like grinding his teeth as he says it <laughs> <laughs> and yeah you see how he wants more creative control in the band and i think this is an interesting dynamic maybe even more in the book where like the truth is a little bit more blurred. Yeah. Where you're like, is Billy just taking too much control away from them? Or is he not fighting enough for it himself? Like, what exactly is is going on? Yeah, what is their dynamic? Yeah. The book and the show are a little bit different here because in the book, the six actually, they have a whole album of material and they record it and produce it and it's done And the studio execs are a little bit concerned, though, because there's no single from the album. Yeah, no one song that is maybe going to, like, be a radio top hit. Yeah, but in the show, they don't write an entire album. They're just like, here's a song that we're working on. Billy takes it to Teddy. Teddy takes it to the studio execs. And they're like... Uh, we don't know about this band anymore. Remember how their last tour went up in flames when the singer had to go to rehab? <laughs> yeah. And so they're not wanting to invest in them at all. And so this kind of is where Teddy comes in. He's already working with Daisy Jones. And in the book, he's like, they need a single. And in the show, he's like, they need a lifeline, right, to bring them back. And so he has the idea to bring Daisy Jones and the Six together. And I have to say, in the show... The moment Daisy Jones enters the recording studio and she and Billy begin bouncing off of each other. I mean, the show just is elevated so much. Yes. Their dynamic is so great. It's so compelling and interesting to watch. They're immediately both way more interesting characters, right? Yes. And you feel like even though those initial episodes, like I didn't like that much, it did build up the groundwork of who those characters are at this point. And seeing how they play off of each other is, like, really compelling. Yeah, just getting to see them together and talk. And we already know that Billy is kind of in control of the band, right? He calls the shots, what he says goes. And we've already seen that Daisy is like, no one can control me, right? (laughs) Like, I'm not going to let anyone tell me what to do. And so we have these two forces coming together and just butting heads um, in such a fun way yeah daisy is just kind of unbothered by (laughs) billy's hostility yeah and she comes in and has rewritten her lines to the song and she kind of challenges billy and is like what you wrote is just a very simple love song but i'm coming at it from like adding more of a questioning tone to it like a darker subtext yeah like the these are the things that you want to happen but will they and maybe there's some doubt as to your ability to make your dreams come true essentially yeah which pisses billy off yeah and billy really doesn't want to work with her but teddy is like this is your ticket this is gonna make your album good or is this is gonna make you know the record Uh, production support you like this is what you need and so Billy very much against his own will ends up working with Daisy and they record this song together and of course the song Honeycomb 
or uh, Look at Us Now, yeah. blows up and is super popular. Huge hit. <laughs> I really find this interesting because in the book, this is, you know, one song off of a whole album, right? And there's kind of an interesting discussion and frustration, specifically, I think, with Billy, but also the rest of the band, that they put a lot of time into this album and fleshing it out and making it like this whole kind of experience and really dynamic. And But obviously the song Honeycomb just blows up and that's all anyone cares about, all anyone wants to hear. And it kind of overshadows the album. And I think yeah. this is such an interesting thing with music specifically. Mm-hmm. Like I recently heard SZA talking about this. She just came out with her album SOS, which is fantastic. And one of the top songs off that album is uh, Kill Bill. And there's a great music video to it. It's a catchy song. And SZA was recently complaining about it. Not complaining, but saying, like, it's frustrating, she said, because, like, she wrote that song in a night. Yeah. And really didn't put that much effort into it. And she's like, I knew it would be, like, catchy and people would like it. But she was like, there are songs on this album that I care way more about Mm -hmm. than Kill Bill. But... Kill Bill is the one that everyone's playing. And that's how it goes sometimes. And you never know with an album and with a band what music will rise and fall, right? Yeah. I mean, you talk about the hits from even Fleetwood Mac, right? Mm -hmm. Their Rumors album. At this point, the hits have been so overplayed that now we're like, oh, this song is actually really good. This other (laughs) song. You know what I mean? We're like, Silver Springs. That's like the B-side. Nobody even knows about Silver Springs. you know? So I really think that... It really just depends on the time and and how things age sometimes as well. It's just funny how an album is collectively an experience, but also segmented into songs, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you have a greatest hits album, a lot of people kind of like turn their nose up at it. They're like, oh, but that's not like the album. The album was curated by the band, you know, Abbey Road is like a whole experience. And it's like, yeah, no, you're right. Like the songs were picked you know, and put in a specific order. But, you know, the songs individually slap. And, yeah. you know, if I just want to listen to fucking Octopus Garden, oh, well, yeah, yeah I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's talk about the TV show a little bit specifically here because we have some book-to-TV show differences. You know, the song has blown up, and then we have a scene where they're at some kind of music festival and the six are performing, and Daisy Jones is there to sing with them. And the six are supposed to do a whole set, and then they'll come. She'll come up and do Honeycomb with them. Um, but that's it. But that's not exactly what happens. <laughs> no. Instead, Daisy Jones comes out almost immediately. <laughs> so they're like, "Okay, I guess we'll play Honeycomb now." And then she just stays up there. Yeah. And kind of just. But, like, it ends up being an amazing show. Like, she fits right in with the band. It gets everyone really excited. The crowd is going wild. Billy has this reaction afterwards, though. He's asked by, like, a news reporter about Daisy Jones being in the band. And he's very much like, no, that was a one-time thing. We just did the one song. Very much shuts her down and is very aggressive towards her. We have some scenes later where he's talking to Camila, his wife, He's talking to other members of the band and they're like, we need Daisy. We should make more music with her. Yeah. And Camila is kind of she knows, yeah, that Daisy would be a good fit for the band and is kind of trying to pull the strings. Talk to Daisy, talk to Billy, trying to bring them together. And you kind of wonder about Camila's motivations, too, because like the royalty checks they got from Honeycomb got them 
a house, a house to rent, and they have a kid now. Yeah, and you kind of wonder, like, you know, she's just doing this for Billy and his career, or also, you know, for the financial security of it. Yeah. Either way, Billy does come around and and asks Daisy to be part of the band. And that's only in the show. In the book, actually, at this time, Daisy has recorded her own album of music. It's just covers. Yeah. But she has her own album out. And the six have a whole album. And then Honeycomb is just a single. So what they do is the six are going on tour for their new album. Daisy Jones is opening for them. So she'll perform first, then the six perform. And then the two, like she joins the whole band and they play Honeycomb together as like a final act. It's really interesting that the book has an entire tour here. Whereas the show is like, let's just do one performance and then let's get to them actually writing music together. And I kind of agree because not a lot actually happens in this tour. In no, the book. it's probably more realistic in terms of how bands will often comes out. I mean, sometimes artists and bands will come out with a single that's just unrelated to a project and just kind of like on its own. Yeah. But a lot of times they correlate to the buildup of an album, which of course you would tour with. So the book is probably like, more realistic in a way, but I agree in terms of pacing, I think. And plot. And plot, like it makes more sense in the show just to kind of keep things moving. Yeah. What we really get from this tour, I think, is just that Daisy is partying all the time and Billy isn't, right? Yeah. Because he's sober. And so they have this really weird dynamic and they're still kind of at odds with each other, even though they're getting, they're supposedly getting along at this point. Yeah. So there is a scene though, where Daisy kind of has her own backup band for her stuff, but like she's dating a guy who's her manager, but she breaks up with him. So he takes the band with him. And so the six decide to like, well, we'll play the songs for you, Daisy. And they kind of like in this one part merge. Yeah. For at least just one night. And I think there's a great moment where it's very similar to the show where Daisy kind of sticks around when she was supposed to leave Mm -hmm. and they kind of just keep playing and you get two perspectives on it. Daisy says, oh, I was going to go, but Billy was like, no, stay and kind of signaled for me to like keep stay on stage. Whereas uh, Billy was like, I don't know why she wouldn't leave, (laughs) but she just stayed up on stage and I didn't want to kick her off. So I just went with it. Yeah. And you get this conflicting points of view right in the book and the thing is the book is this like we said a transcript of interviews and so there's no single truth right to yeah. what actually happened yeah and whereas in the show you know you have these interviews but then you also see the what, truth the right? what yes what really happened the reality and i think in a lot of ways that makes the book more interesting because a lot of times you'll read two different accounts of something and you can kind of sort out who's maybe lying or who's stretching the truth maybe who's misremembering but there are times when it is unclear what actually happened. Especially considering in the book, it's like 40 years later or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So there's been a lot of time. And I think the book is very interested in what people remember and the kind of the stories they tell themselves about what it was like back then. Mm-hmm. And especially hearing how Billy and Daisy talk about their relationship and what they knew or didn't know at the time about being together, singing together, writing together. And yeah, this scene is a really great example of that. Yeah, and sometimes in the book, it'll be a funny, like just a random detail about 
Billy will say, yeah, and I made sure Rod had a ride home because I drove and so I went home. And then Rod will speak and be like, I don't know where Billy went because I drove. <laughs> you know, just like weird conflicting details that are kind of funny. Yeah. Sometimes it's little stuff. Sometimes it's like really big stuff. But like, yeah, it's all kind of subjective and you don't know the truth. Whereas in the show, the interviews just serve more as kind of a narrative exposition Right. And like a character, a way for the characters to maybe speak some truth about what they were feeling in that past scene. Yeah. And occasionally there will be some foreshadowing. I wish there's almost more foreshadowing. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're you're speaking from this future perspective with like more perspective on everything <laughs> that happened. And I feel like there could have been more allusions to things that were coming down the line. Yeah. So kind of getting back to where the book and the show converge here, we have... Daisy Jones is in the band, and they're going to be called Daisy Jones and the Six, which is why it's called that. (laughs) Even though in the show there are five. There are five of them. Uh, It should just be the Six now, because with Daisy Jones, they're six. Yeah. (laughs) The actual Six is what they should have named it. The real Six. Um, But they're coming in. They're like, okay, we're going to write an album together. And we... Again, right away have Billy and Daisy butting heads because both Billy and Daisy come to the studio with material already written. And Billy's like, here's my song I've already written. Uh, Here's a part that you could sing. And Daisy's like, excuse me. Yeah. uh, Here are my songs. Maybe we should look at them. And it's this conflict. Daisy is immediately like, "Uh, is it more material about how much you love your wife? (laughs) Wait, is this a song about your wife in the rain? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Daisy, I I mean, their chemistry is so good where yeah. Daisy just like slams Roast Billy him. constantly <laughs> and he just like has this like look of annoyance on his face half the time. But Daisy also kind of takes this moment to stand up for the rest of the band and say, well, you know, what does Karen want to play? What does Eddie want to play? What about Warren? Like we should be getting their input more on this stuff. And Billy up until this point has kind of just been the leader of the band has kind of been guiding them. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because we find out specifically in the book that Billy, after the album Aurora was recorded, he and Teddy, like, took on the mixing by themselves and really totally shaped the sound in a new way. Mm -hmm. And so even though he gave more control over to the band, he still kind of, like, took control at the end. And this dynamic of the kind of push and pull between him and the band is, like, really interesting. Yeah. He and Daisy end up having to to come to a solution here where they decide that they're going to, like, set aside the things that they've already written and write new things together, like, during this time. So we have a really great scene in both the book and the movie of one of their first writing sessions together. Yeah. They go. She's like, I'm hungry. Let's get a burger. <laughs> they're they're eating. They're talking about their music. They're talking about ideas for writing. And they're kind of getting to know each other and what drives them and what they're writing about. They, <laughs> in the show, break into Teddy's house. In the <laughs> book, Teddy is like, you can go to my guest house and yeah. write there. Um, but we hear Billy talking about, you know, his struggle with sobriety and Daisy kind of realizing when he's writing these idealized love songs, it's because that's the version of himself that he wants to be, even though he's not that person. He's not really being honest with like the struggles that he faces and maybe the doubts that he has 
he's kind of writing this very almost fictionalized, optimistic view of things. But Daisy's challenging him, like, you sh- we should be more sincere about this. Yeah, and that, that sincerity, that struggle is what people identify with more in music and in lyrics. And, you know, he, she's talking to him about her childhood and her parents just totally neglecting her. And, you know, Billy's confronting her about her drug use, her pills. It really feels like they're getting to know each other and that they're pushing and pulling on their writing together. And mm-hmm. we see them come up with a song together. And it's really exciting. It is. And I like even just the fact that they don't know how to write music together. Mm-hmm. They've like never done it before. And so you see this kind of awkward, tr- like they're both trying to open up together to each other and then also figure out how to actually put words on the page and kind of refine them and flesh them out mm-hmm. into music. But you really see how they're making each other better and how they're making something really good together. They're pulling different things out of each other that they maybe wouldn't have discovered on their own. And we see a lot of similarities, too, between them. And there's a line where Daisy says to Billy, I feel like I know you. Yeah. And that they, they have this dynamic that almost they, they almost already know each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you get the sense that you know, their animosity towards each other at first is so intense that there's there's just an, an intensity of emotion, right? Yeah. And you can kind of see that begin to swing in the other direction towards them opening up to each other. Being more of, intimate. Yeah, f- kind of feeling a kinship with one another. And so you start to see, like, the bigger range of their relationship. Yeah. And you can see that they're kind of into each other, right? We get some really interesting recording sessions where they're arguing and fighting. And then in another scene, when they're doing it right, they're just like smiling and looking into each other's eyes. There's a scene where she like hugs him because they're so happy and it feels very intimate, right? And so that's the idea of like when you write with someone like this, it's such a high and that's going to that's going to make you feel something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they also unfortunately like still fall into their arguments, their like disagreements, their kind of like anger towards each other. And this comes out in them writing songs about each other yeah. that they then have to perform. <laughs> uh, he writes a song for Daisy about her basically her substance abuse and he there's a scene in the show where he's having her record it. I guess it's in the book, too, I think. Yeah. It plays out a little bit differently, but she's struggling to sing it. Like, But he keeps trying to push her to make it more raw, more kind of unfiltered, mm-hmm. and her to kind of like let loose more. And in the show, he actually kisses her in the parking lot during yeah. to try to like get this emotion out of her, right? Yeah. And you're wondering, like, how manipulative was that kiss versus how much did he actually want to do it? For sure. And... Of course, Daisy writes a song about him later, (laughs) which he just is like, I'm not singing this. And he like walks out. (laughs) Yeah. So they're they're writing songs at each other (laughs) in order for them to one day stand on stage and look at each other in the eyes while they're singing. Yeah. Very uh, Silver Springs of them. (laughs) (laughs) But we have some other scenes that, you know, seem very intimate between them. Um, Like you said, the kiss where we're like, is that him just trying to push her, manipulate her. Is that real? There's a scene where in the show they're by the ocean and he kind of admits to her that you made the song Honeycomb better. Yeah. And then he says, you make everything better. And it's very like, are they going to kiss? And there's a similar scene in the book where they're sitting at the piano and he says, 
Like there's a lot of things I like about you and they almost kiss. Yeah. And I really like the flirtation between them, the anger, the I don't know. I like that they at least at this point in the story, not quite knowing where it was going. I liked that they held back on them like sleeping together yes. or anything. Right. Yeah. And we're just kind of like letting these emotions simmer. And I also appreciate how Camila is always a presence in the story. She's always she's not just like the wife who's like hanging around. Mm-hmm. And you really do get to feel how much Billy loves her and that it wouldn't be. She's not just like this obstacle to For go- him and Daisy. Being yes. There. Yeah. She feels like a fully fleshed out character that's important to the story and really does add a lot of emotional drama to everything going on. Yeah. There's a very explosive Rolling Stone interview that comes out about Daisy Jones and the Six. And Daisy, in one of her drunken pill benders, ends up telling this Rolling Stone interviewer all this shit about Billy's backstory, about going to rehab, missing his daughter's birth, all this stuff. And the reporter kind of confronts Billy about it and is like, Hey, this is what Daisy said. Is it true? Because I'm going to write it. Mm-hmm. And Billy, like, can't deny it, but is like, please don't write that. And the Rolling Stone in- interview is like, well, if you give me something a little more juicy, maybe I won't. And so Billy's like, okay, you want something juicy? I hate Daisy Jones. <laughs> and he just gives all of these, like, great sound bites or whatever poll quotes saying things like, a talent like Daisy Jones's is wasted on Daisy Jones. Yeah. Just kind of saying she's never really earned anything that she's worked for. Mm-hmm. Uh, just really roasting her in this interview. And of course, the Rolling Stone uh, writer just uses like all of this. <laughs> yeah. And comes out with this like super juicy article about this band. Because like everyone thinks that Billy and Daisy are like romantically involved like their stage chemistry is so good Mm -hmm. and then he releases this article that is like they hate each other yeah (laughs) (laughs) i love that the book kind of talks about how the interview actually gets people really excited about the album and the tour because they're like woo drama you have to see them live now (laughs) yeah i mean daisy reads this and she just kind of takes off in the book she goes to thailand and in the show she goes to greece because it's all too much for her and she needs a break yeah Yeah. Going on at the same time, Karen and Graham, who have kind of had a flirtation throughout the book and show, finally are in like an actual intimate relationship. Although Karen doesn't want it to be known to any of the other band members. There's a good scene where she tells Graham, like, I've worked really hard for this and I don't want anyone to think I got here by sleeping with band members. Yeah. Like, I want people to know that I made it on my own talent. And acknowledging the double standard that women faced in the music industry. I mean, still face, but especially at this time. Yeah. And so they're in a relationship now, but nobody knows about it. So that's going on. And I also think we should talk about Simone's story here and specifically the direction that the show takes it in. Yeah, the show really expands on Simone's story, which I think is really great. We know pretty early on when Daisy and Simone are first living together and are friends that Simone is a lesbian and she's recording in LA. She's an amazing singer and she has this awful incident with this music producer where he kind of grabs her and puts her in his lap and is trying to feel her up and she gets up and moves away. Yeah. And then later realizes that they used the audio from her recording 
and dubbed it over a live performance of another woman. Yeah. And she thinks this is retaliation for her rejecting that guy in the recording studio, and she's very upset about it. I like seeing how outraged Daisy is on her behalf. I know. Because Teddy works with Simone, and so Daisy's going to go straight to Teddy with this, and Simone has to try to talk her down. Yeah. But Simone is just really upset about all of this, and she recently in the show, and this is like all in the show, by the way, she recently met another woman named Bernie at a party who works and lives out in New York. Yeah, and runs a disco club. And Bernie was like, you have to come out to New York sometime. It's great out here. And you can tell there's immediate chemistry between her and Simone. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is the breaking point for Simone where she decides, I have to leave LA. I need a new scene. I'm going to go out to New York. Yeah, and we get this really great episode where it really focuses on Simone. And we see her and Bernie in love in New York City. We see the disco scene in New York City. We see the clubs. We see this queer club, you Mm -hmm. know, where Simone and Bernie can feel free to be together. But there's always this push and pull between them where Simone is afraid that being openly queer will hurt her chances to get a record contract. Whereas Bernie, I think, is much more comfortable in her skin and in her relationships and is kind of trying to push Simone a little bit to be a little bit more brave or daring to be a little bit more out, I think. Yeah. And so I like this conflict a lot. And I just like seeing the disco scene, like a different music scene at the time, seeing more queer representation and seeing Simone contrasted with Daisy where it never outright says this or, you know, challenges this, but you know, Daisy's a white woman and Simone's black. And you wonder if like Daisy gets away with more Mm -hmm. just because of her whiteness. You For know? sure. Yeah. And Simone is also queer and having to hide that aspect yeah. to her career. You know, I, I do really love Simone's character in the show. And I'm so glad that she got an expanded role. We tie in Simone with Daisy's story here when Simone gets a telegram. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, do they still do te- telegrams? Is um, it like a singing telegram? <laughs> <laughs> um, from Daisy being like, I need you. And she's like, okay, I guess... I got to pack up and go. And Bernie goes with her to Greece and they get there. And Daisy's like, oh, yeah, I need you because I'm getting married. (laughs) And Simone is just like, what? Like, I mean, she thought Daisy was in trouble. She brought bail money in case (laughs) she was in jail. Like she had no idea. And I really like just suddenly seeing like, uh, of course, Daisy would like have no self-awareness about like, what she's really asking of Simone, what the context of her message was like. Uh, in in the book, Daisy was in Thailand, <laughs> invites Simone out to Thailand, but then leaves for Rome without telling, leaving a message for Simone. And it was only when she's like on the plane that she's like, oh no, I forgot to tell Simone that I'm leaving. <laughs> and Simone has to like track her down Traveling across the world trying to find Daisy. And I'm like, this woman. I know. Is unreal. She's marrying this guy named Nikki, who may or may not be a prince. I don't know. I like how skeptical the story is of this fact. Like, it never outright, like, denies it. Yeah. But he kind of, you know, Nikki's like, ah, oh, you know, he seems just more, like, shy about it or, like, humble. Like, ah, I'm just, like, the son of a guy. And, you know. <laughs> and then later it's like, I mean, maybe he's actually nobody. I know. And he calls himself in the show, oh, I- I'm a student. Like, you know, I'm, I-, I forget if he gets into any more detail, but he says he's a student. And then later <laughs> he's like, 
Yeah, I'm just like a student of life. And you're like, oh, here it is. Oh, God. <laughs> I love in the book, you get a quote from Warren, the drummer. Yeah. Who immediately dislike, disliked Nikki. And he's like, oh, this guy's a con artist. Yeah. And you realize that it's true. But of course, no one realizes it until it's too late. Yeah. And Daisy needs this in her life right now. She just had this intense relationship with Billy that was very you know, like I said, intense, passionate, but he doesn't want to be with her. And so she needs someone who is choosing her, right? And this guy is not good for her. Nikki is not good for her, but he's there. They get married. Simone's there for the wedding. Nikki almost kind of comes between Simone and Daisy in the show specifically, where he's like, Simone is really telling Daisy, Look, your album is so popular. Your tour is going to start soon. You have to go back. You have to do this. This is what you've been dreaming of. Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little conflicted by this point actually because you get where Simone is coming from. You don't want Daisy to be making a decision because she's afraid, because she's avoiding her problems with Billy, right? But I also don't know if telling Daisy that she has to go back on tour when she clearly has drug abuse problems and other issues that like, I don't know if like that's the solution. I mean, I think Simone is afraid that Nikki is just going to hold Daisy back her whole life. That's a valid concern. I think she's more concerned about Nikki keeping her in Greece or keeping her from doing what she really loves. And so that, that seems to be more the problem. But at this point, like Daisy's just been lying to Nikki, like about who she is and like her career as a musician. She just says she, that she's a poet so it seems like she's more hiding than like Nikki is holding her back at this point. So like it seems like at this point it's more Daisy's choice to not want to go back. Yeah, but then you see Nikki kind of trying to turn Daisy against Simone. True. So I just, that is manipulative on his part. I just don't know if that was established before Simone was like, you have to come back. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little more nuanced is all I'm saying. But – like you said, Nikki kind of tries to drive a wedge between them. He tells Daisy that Simone is in love with her. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> and during an argument, Daisy brings this up to Simone and is like, do you love me? Are you in love with me? Are you? In, yeah. Are you in love with me? And Simone just kind of looks like sickened. And I, I, I honestly don't know what the show is trying to communicate. I think based on Simone's reaction later... She tells Daisy, I love you. Like. My sister. Yes. Yeah. And basically is like, I'm going to give you the truth right now that you're being a bitch. Yeah. I forget the exact quote, but it's just like. She calls her a selfish bitch. A selfish bitch. Thank you. <laughs> and kind of leaves. I think what they're trying to do here in this scene is Simone is so offended that Daisy would take what she's really trying to do to help her. Yes. And to be like, this is your dream. This is what you would want to do. Don't hold yourself back. Don't let Nikki hold herself back. And that Daisy would take that as, oh, you're obsessed with me. Yeah. I agree. She's so offended. I agree. I, I think in the moment when she asks Simone that and you're trying to read Simone's reaction, I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. But I think based on her response later. See, I thought with her immediately like going cold and silent and like turning away from Daisy that she was just like fuck you just said to me yeah like how dare you almost you know i think that's a totally valid and i think that's what they were going for to be honest yeah um 
I just like never put it past a show to like go for an easy like drama point. You know what I mean? When it's mm-hmm. not necessary. So I didn't know if they would go there or not. I'm glad they didn't. But I really like, though, the show really acknowledging because the book in the book, Daisy is just so demanding and so shitty and so disregarding of any problems Simone might be having or anything she's going through. And Simone is just like, I don't know, the perfect friend. Yeah, we don't get into what Simone's going through. No, she's just chasing Daisy around the world, like trying to help her, dragging her back to L.A., And I don't know, she's just a very one-dimensional character that Daisy gets to, like, step all over Mm -hmm. and has no autonomy of her own. And I really appreciate the show giving her her own story, letting her explore this other side of music, of queerness and blackness in the show, and then also standing up to Daisy and being like, fuck you. Yeah. I think, like, all those things improve the story overall, and especially the character of Simone. For sure. Daisy does eventually decide to go back to L.A. to tour, and Nikki goes with her. <laughs> so she shows up, and everybody's like, where have you been? Um, but the tour is about to start, and Daisy and Billy are not speaking to each other at this point in time. No, they're immediately annoyed with each other. In fact, like, in preparation for the tour, they keep demanding, like, more <laughs> extreme things, like Billy asks for a separate touring bus than her, and in the book they talk about, like, Neither could have something that the other person didn't have. Yeah. And like, even though they were supposed to keep costs down, the uh, record label was willing to pay for kind of like anything, Mm -hmm. even if it was two separate ping pong tables. (laughs) (laughs) The tour is not. I mean, it's going well, but also Daisy is very out of control. Her drug use has really ramped up, and we see that Nikki is enabling her. And in fact, in some moments, he's pushing her to do more drugs than she would maybe do on her own. And it feels like Billy is maybe the only one noticing how out of control Daisy is. Yeah. He tries to confront Nikki on this, and at least in the show, they kind of get in this, like, physical altercation, Mm -hmm. which is only driving the wedge further between him and Daisy. Yeah. But then we have this really impactful scene that plays out very differently in the show and in the book in the show billy is really pissed off at daisy and in fact is going to her hotel room to be like you're out of the band i'm i'm telling you that you're out of the band i want you out he gets there and nikki opens the door and is like hi everything's fine we're good here daisy's fine everything's good and billy's like what the fuck are you talking about who is it it's rod who's with him yeah and billy and rod just give each other this look like (laughs) That's weird, right? And they push their way into the room. Daisy is in the shower, passed out, clearly having OD'd on some kind of drug, right? And Billy rushes to her. He grabs her. He's shaking her. He's trying to get her to wake up. Rod, you know, picks up the phone and makes a very mysterious uh, reference to getting a doctor to their room. He calls some doctor and he's like, yeah, we have a toothache. (laughs) In room 304. <laughs> I loved that, like, detail of, like, him having a whole plan. He has a setup for this. For if someone ODs. And Nikki, meanwhile, is packing his bags. Yeah. He's like, I can't stay here. He's, like, freaking out. I'm yeah. sure he's, like, stoned out of his mind, too. This scene is so impactful, though, because you see Billy holding Daisy and he's crying. Yeah. And he's like, Daisy, Daisy, please wake up, wake up. And, you know, he's seeing how much he cares about her and how he doesn't want to lose her and how he really doesn't want to lose her to drugs, right? And he can sympathize with what she's going through. Um, And she does wake up. And I love how this goes in the episode (laughs) because in the next episode, it starts and she wakes up in bed and Nikki's there. Yeah. And I was like, is this a dream at (laughs) first? 
And Daisy's like, I remember some things from last night and you weren't there. Where were you? (laughs) Yeah. And she immediately finds out from Billy that Nikki like bailed on her and I guess just came back and tried to pretend like everything was fine. And and they have, you know, Daisy and Nikki have this final confrontations where she's like, get out. Yeah. Like, I don't want you. I I want to divorce you. It's over between us. Um, And this this whole scene happens basically the same way where Daisy ODs and Nikki isn't there for her. But it happens without Billy in the book. Yeah, in the book, just Billy's not there. Daisy wakes up like he put her in the shower like he did in the show. And she was like, he thought I OD'd and the only thing he could do was stick me in the shower. Not call 911. Yeah, didn't try to call an ambulance or anything. And this is just like kind of a last straw for her. And she leaves him and just calls the hotel and is like, can you leave a message for the man in like 304 that uh, his wife wants a divorce? (laughs) And that's like the last time we see Nikki. That's the last time. But I really like that the show brought Billy in here. Yeah. Because this moment between them is so impactful. And just seeing how Billy reacts to her in this situation, I think says a lot about him and his character. Yeah. And from this moment on, Daisy kind of has this, like, realization that her drug abuse has gotten out of control. Like, and she was kind of losing control, like, at the shows, too. Like, she was kind of mixing up lyrics. She She falls off the stage. Yeah, she was unstable. And so now she's trying to monitor at least uh, her drug use, you know, like, oh, I'm only going to do coke right before the show. (laughs) I'm only going to do two reds in the morning and then, like, a blue at night. Like, she, she starts cutting back a lot and trying to maintain it and... She also is, I think, seeking comfort in Billy's presence because, you know, Billy is like removed from the partying of the tour. He has like there's one bus that's the party bus (laughs) and then his bus that is like for sober Billy. And so she goes to Billy's bus and is like, can I hang out here? Yeah. And they actually talk about rehab a bit and like he talks to her about that and she knows that she can talk to him about this and she is like ashamed and embarrassed as to what he saw her go through but there's also this vulnerability now that where she feels like she can be honest with him and so you see their relationship really shifting here where he cares about her and she knows that and he wants her to get help and she's starting to want to get help too I think Billy's sobriety adds a really interesting level to the show, Mm -hmm. right? Or just to the story in general and how in some ways he and Daisy are on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Daisy is just getting stoned out of her mind on pills and blow and alcohol and everything you can imagine. And, you know, uh, Billy is just alone in his room being sober and calling his wife, right? Yeah. But like they both have this shared identity of being um addicts addicts and substance abusers right Mm -hmm. like on one hand they're at opposite ends of the same problem yeah and so they do have this shared connection over that Mm -hmm. and you start to see them open up to each other more on this tour and in the show we get a scene where they're working on a song together they're on the porch is this a Billy's house. This is in Pittsburgh. Okay, okay. Yeah. When they do their their like hometown show. Yes. They're in Pittsburgh. They're on the porch. And Daisy comes right out and says, we should be together. Yeah. And Billy has to tell her, like, listen, I can't. Like, we have something. I'm not going to say that we don't have something. Yeah. He says, I want that too, but we can't have that. And he says, what we have, isn't that enough? 
what we do have. Yeah, what we do now. And and we write songs together and we're going to write so many albums together and our what we do have makes our albums better. And like that has to be it for us. Like like I love my wife. I'm not going to leave her. And he's kind of holding her and he has this like forehead pressed against hers. And it's like this very intimate moment. Mm-hmm. And then they hear a door close inside and they kind of break apart and they see Camila and she's like, hey, guys. And, you know, it's kind of like a close call. Right. And I love it leaves that moment there. But then at the very end of that episode, they show Camila like sitting on the plane mm-hmm. and it cuts back to that moment. And you realize that she did see them. Yeah. And she intentionally like closed the door to like yeah. s- break them, you know, break them apart. But like she saw that. She saw that very intimate moment between them. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, we mentioned that Karen and Graham are seeing each other. And this is where it's revealed to us in the interviews that Karen was pregnant at this time. Yeah, she got pregnant and she knew, she kind of has always known she doesn't want kids. Yeah. So this is a really complicated and kind of awful thing for to happen to her, right? Mm-hmm. And because Graham, she, she tells Graham and Graham seems like happy and wants to like, make start a family with her yeah he even says very stupidly we could get another keyboardist for the band if that's what you're worried about (laughs) she's like no that's not what i'm worried about graham (laughs) yeah i think i really like karen's perspective here because karen is someone who we've seen her dedication to her career we've seen that she's afraid to be thought of as the girlfriend right that she got this position just because she was sleeping with someone in the band like she is trying to make a name for herself and to be able to stand on her own. And at the time was really difficult for women to do that, especially in the music industry. And so in her mind, she doesn't want to have kids. Yeah. She might not even want to be married and have that type of tether, right? She wants to be able to make her own choices. And Graham really wants a different version of her. I think Karen gives it a really good balance to Daisy's character. Yeah. Because Daisy's character is so just like, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. Yeah. And Karen is a little bit more, I think, realistic and in like a lot a of ways. And like a product of her time. Yeah. Where, you know, they have a whole discussion in the book about how they present their bodies, essentially. Like, because on the album cover for Aurora which I don't think we've mentioned once, is mm-hmm. the al- is the album they've written together. Yes. And are on tour for. For the cover of that album, Daisy is wearing, uh, like, just a white shirt with no bra, and, like, her <laughs> nipples are very prominent. And Karen is kind of, like, annoyed about this. And is like, I don't want to be selling an album with our bodies. Like, I want it to be about the music. About the music, about the talent. Yeah, and Daisy's like, I don't want anyone to be telling me what I can or can't do. Like, it's my body, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, just kind of giving two very interesting perspectives on the same issue, right? Yeah, and what women were facing. And I really do like that Karen is pretty firm with, I don't want to have kids. Yeah. And she ends up getting an abortion. and, And I love that Camila is the one to take her. Yeah. Because we're seeing Camila, who has kids. You know, in the book, she has three kids. In the show, she just has the one. But that's something she's always wanted. She loves being a mom. But she still supports Karen and knows that Karen doesn't want to do this. And so she doesn't try to force her own beliefs on her. There's a lot of great female solidarity between the characters on this show that I yeah. really like. Yeah. I mean, even between Camila and Daisy. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously that goes into, like, 
complicated territory later on with Billy. Yeah. But like earlier on, like Camille is the one who's like, you should add Daisy to the band and talking to Daisy about like, you should join the band mm-hmm. and very supportive of her. And there's just a lot of good like relationships between the women of this story. Yeah. But Graham is obviously upset when he finds out about the abortion and this ends up breaking up the two of them. They have a lot of arguments over it and You know, the show makes it a little more complicated where Graham at one point says, we can still be together. Like, we don't have to have kids. I don't want that. This is all I need. Yeah. And Karen kind of saying, no, I don't I don't want to do this with you. It's really sad. I think, like, from my point of view, like, Karen realizes that I I, Graham is saying this now, but he wants kids. Yeah. Right. Like he made that clear. And I can't do that. And I can't do that. And I don't want him regretting me probably for never giving that to him. And Mm -hmm. it's like, it's just not going to work. And like, I I don't, in the book, Graham is just like, I fucking hate you. Yeah. And that's just like where they leave things (laughs) off. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's not just Daisy and Billy that have this complicated dynamic. We see Karen and Graham falling apart here. And then we're getting to the meat, to the to the pinnacle, Ian, to the epitome of this story, the climax, the Chicago show. Yes. Although, don't forget about Teddy. Oh, yes. Teddy. Poor, poor Teddy. Teddy died slash didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> In the show, he has a heart attack and is told he has to slow down. And stop drinking so much. And in uh, the book, he just falls over dead from yeah. a heart attack. Yeah. And this is supposed to, I mean, Teddy and Billy have a very strong relationship, almost a father-son dynamic. Yeah. Um, so this is putting pressure on Billy, especially in the book, because in the book, he just dies. Yeah. I think in the show, they use this to kind of like bring characters together. Like Simone comes and visits Teddy and she gets a scene with Daisy. That's really good. Where they make up. Daisy is really regretting everything that happened. I think, especially in hindsight with how Nikki ended up being as a person. And she just kind of gives this tearful apology to to Simone who very graciously accepts the apology, even though Daisy was very shitty. Like, yeah. And I love that Simone actually ends up performing with them at this show in Chicago. It's, it's fun. I kind of like that. They didn't kill Teddy in this moment and instead allowed it to bring characters together to kind of like realize, I don't know how fleeting life is and kind of like perspective and reevaluate things. Yeah, we're going to talk about the final show in Chicago, and we're going to kind of go by the show first and then the book because they're very different. Yeah, the show. So we got this like kind of slight foreshadowing at the, at the in the very first episode at the beginning to this Chicago show. We know that this is where the band breaks up. And I love at the end of the ninth episode, everyone's on the plane ready to go. Mm-hmm. And you know that. Camila saw Billy and Daisy together and she's pissed off. You know that Karen got the abortion and Graham doesn't know yet. And Eddie is like just angry. Always hating Billy. Always mad at Billy. (laughs) And we also know that Camila in kind of a random moment of weakness slept with Eddie. In the show. Yeah. We never saw it Mm -hmm. and it's only vaguely alluded to. But you know that's simmering. So just (laughs) everyone is angry on this plane. Everyone's upset on the plane except Warren. Yes. (laughs) Except Warren's just living his best life. Warren is vibing with his mustache. (laughs) With his great mustache. (laughs) So at the beginning of the 10th episode it actually kind of begins with the actual performance in Chicago. 
it shows you that Billy is sneaking drinks from a flask. So yeah. he has fallen off the wagon. Mm-hmm. And then it goes like 10 hours earlier. Yeah. And the, the episode keeps cutting back to the performance, which I find really interesting. It's a really great way to tell this final episode and giving us hints about what's going to happen, then showing us how we got there. And the whole lead up to the show is just... All these confrontations between different characters. Yeah. We have a confrontation between Billy and Eddie where they really go at it. And, you know, Eddie kind of hints that maybe something happened between him and Camila. Yeah. Billy is just telling him that he's always resented him because he's just not good enough. Yeah. And that if he was better, maybe he wouldn't have such a problem with Billy. Yeah. Well, yeah. He tells Eddie, like, I think you like being like I don't know stepped over or yeah. stepped on or whatever because you like having something to be mad about mm-hmm. for why you're not more successful and he ends up punching him in the face yeah Billy Billy decks Eddie because I love in that first shot of the concert when you're seeing everyone Eddie has a shiner <laughs> yeah. that you don't know the context <laughs> of yet uh, but yeah so Eddie tells Billy that he's quitting and I love too during the performance when Billy is announcing all the members of the yeah. band he skips over Eddie at first but then gives Eddie a proper introduction. He gives Eddie a hug. Yeah. And Eddie almost seems like, oh, thanks, man. And yeah. Billy whispers in his ear. He's like, you're fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Pack your shit. <laughs> I just love how vindictive it is. Yeah, it's it's very aggressive. There's a lot going on here. And then we also have a scene between Billy and Camila where Camila confronts Billy about that scene where she saw him and Daisy Jones with their heads pressed together, almost embracing And she's like, tell me that you don't love her. And Billy, he can't. He can't actually say the words that he doesn't love Daisy. Yeah. I just, I really love how interesting this whole dynamic is because they haven't even slept together. And he tells her, he's like, I kissed her one time, but nothing else has happened. I promise you. Yeah. But it's about more than that. It's not just that they, it's not that they haven't done anything physical. It's that... He does love her. And yeah. Camilla, Camilla's like, I can't do this. Yeah. I can't do this if you're in love with her. And you can't do this if you're in love with her. And she's kind of like, I'm I'm done. Well, and we had a whole discussion <laughs> after the show ended about, like, Billy's accountability. Yeah. Because on one hand, he seemed pretty set, you know, that he wasn't going to do anything with Daisy, that he loved Camilla. He wasn't going to leave her. But he and Daisy could keep doing what they're doing. Yeah. And we both agreed that he was in some ways being dishonest with his wife. Yeah. Or being, um, what was it, emotionally, kind of emotionally cheating on her. Yes. Because he has this very intimate relationship with another woman. Yeah. And just because he's keeping it physically chaste, yeah. it doesn't mean that he's not crossing boundaries emotionally. And, like, it's also not fair to Daisy because she's clearly in love with him. Yeah. But he is holding her at a certain distance, but yet is expecting this level of intimacy to continue between them without her actually getting to be with him. Yeah. And it's like, where do you draw that line, though? Like, is Billy just not allowed to have, like, an emotional connection to another woman? Because, I mean, he and Daisy do share this experience of being addicts and trying and like Mm -hmm. battling with that and like he can express that stuff to Camila but like Daisy understands it firsthand right yeah but I think when you talk about being that intimate with someone and you're married like it's a line and he crossed it Uh, for sure I I like I admit like if I saw you 
like in that intimate of a moment with another guy, I'd be like, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck's happening? And you would have a right to be mad. Yeah, right? I would. Yeah. But still, when you actually are trying to like explain and where pin that it down. Yeah, where that line is, it's very blurry. It is. And I think that show tackles that really well. Like it doesn't just make it like, oh, this lustful physical relationship between the two of them it's very emotional Mm -hmm. and it's very kind of like nuanced and like complicated yeah that that line is blurred as to like where are the boundaries that they're crossing Mm -hmm. and then camila and daisy have a conversation and it's just the two of them kind of being like well he's never gonna be with me because he's never gonna leave you you're his wife and camila kind of being like but i know that you love him and this is not working. Like how can yeah. you, how can the two of you keep doing this? And so we're just seeing like all of these things coming up and Camila is kind of telling Billy that not that they're done, but she really is kind of backing away from him. Yeah. And so Camila leaves, she like leaves the hotel and Billy, you know, tries to leave her messages. He's really freaking out. Mm-hmm. He like doesn't want to lose her. He doesn't want to lose his daughter. And I really like the way this plays out. He's at a bar in a te- in a uh, phone booth making these calls. And there's this guy outside being an asshole. And when Billy leaves the phone booth, the guy recognizes him. And he's yeah. like, oh, shit, you're Billy Dunn. He's like, I'm so sorry. He's like, let me buy you a drink. Yeah. And he and he buys him the drink. And mm-hmm. this is kind of how Billy, like, falls off the wagon in this moment. And you see how vulnerable he is in this moment and that he just lets himself go. Oh, and Sam Claflin gives this phenomenal moment where, like, He's standing there looking at the bar and the drink and just like a single tear. Yeah. Just comes down his uh, face. It's like it's really well done. He he really does well in that moment. Yeah. And then we're at the show, right? And before the show, Billy is obviously drunk at this point and he they're backstage and he suddenly is kissing Daisy Jones and she's like, "What the fuck? Like this is not you're normal. Yeah. This is not how you normally act. And she can tell from kissing him, she's like, you've been drinking. Yeah. And they go out on stage and they're performing and they're just on fire, right? They're doing <laughs> so well. Even though there's all this tension going on in the band, the two of them are singing together and you can see Billy just kind of letting go. All of the boundaries he's set up between them all of those walls that he's had to keep himself from drinking, right, to keep himself from Daisy are dissolving. The two of them are essentially nuzzling on stage. And Camila <laughs> did take up Billy on his offer to come to the performance. He was thinking she'd come backstage, which she didn't, so he doesn't think she came. But she's in the audience watching this, and she's kind of having memories and flashbacks of, like, their relationship, but then also everything with Daisy. And she seems, like, maybe not certain about their future and she ends up leaving yeah but this does touch on something i find really interesting though about like billy and daisy's whole thing on on stage has always been like they're really close they're like always giving these each other these looks even when they hated each other yeah right and it kind of touches on i think maybe even the show makes this comparison i think like the bonnie and clyde film oh yeah how like the co-stars how the co-stars of that like had such great chemistry, but they hated each other. Yeah. And there's so many movie examples of that, mm-hmm. of co-stars who couldn't stand one another, but had such great chemistry. Yeah. And I think it's it's a great thing to acknowledge that, like, it's so easy to project your own feelings and what you want 
out of performers. Yeah. And so easy to be like, oh my God, they have to be in love. Just look at the way. Yeah, they and do it, this and that. And it's like, they're actors. They're performers. Mm-hmm. Like, they might hate each other, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I love just addressing that, the fact that, like, you don't really know. Yeah. And in this show, it's veering into the other uh, side of that, right? Yes. Where they're clearly, like, making eyes at each other. They're, like, nuzzling each other. Um, they go backstage and Billy is like, let's be together. Camila's going to leave me. I want to be with you. Let's do this. And he says, we can, let's be broken together. And it's in the context. I think he like snorts some Coke Yeah. in this scene too. And his hands are shaking and Daisy is looking at him and she's like, this is not what I want. And yeah. I really love this moment for her because for this whole time, she's been willing to take what Billy gives her, right? And now she's saying, like, I don't want this. And she tells him, I don't want to be broken. Well, and seeing how her trajectory kind of crosses Billy's in this moment, where she recently had a scare with this overdose. Yeah. Right? And I think she's gaining perspective on herself and her life. And then her kind of almost, like, crossing paths with Billy, who's on his way downward. Yeah. And kind of seeing, like... He's going to drag me back down. Yeah. Like, we're just going to, like, yeah, get we're gonna tangled up. Yeah, we're going to destroy each other. Yeah, and fall. And that she, in this moment, whereas before Billy was always the strong one, that she can be strong in this moment and say, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. And they go back on stage, and they're going to sing Honeycomb, and Billy can't sing it. And Daisy kind of gives this speech to the crowd about needing to be with somebody that helps you be a better version of yourself mm-hmm. and what love really means. And this kind of gets through to Billy, I think, yeah. where he realizes he needs to go get Camila back and that he needs to get his sobriety back. Yeah. And so he actually, she kind of gives him this like nod or this look and he kind of drops his guitar and takes off. Yeah. Very classic chasing <laughs> the woman, chasing yes. his wife. It's not to the airport. I forget where he, maybe at the hotel when she's checking out, he finds her. Mm-hmm. And they end up having this conversation. And I, it's very interesting because they leave it off in kind of an uncertain way. Yeah. Where Camila's just like, I still don't know. Yeah. And I think Billy's fully willing to like give up the band, give up anything he needs to to get her back. And yeah. he ends up saying like, I'm going to prove myself to you. And I'm going to go to rehab. I'm going to go to rehab Mm -hmm. and I'm going to straighten myself out and I don't want you to worry. So you're kind of left wondering, like, where do they end up? Yeah. Yeah. And Daisy um, ends up leaving the band, too. We have this reveal here in the book and in the show that the person who is interviewing them, the person that's writing the book, is actually Julia, Billy's daughter. Yes, Uh, because in both versions, they're talking about a moment that Julia remembers, even though she was five. Mm-hmm. She's kind of like, wait, I, I remember this. And, you know, in the show, she suddenly is speaking from behind the camera. Yeah. And in the interview, she kind of inserts. A transcript. Yeah, of her talking to Daisy. And, yeah, I, um, in some ways, it, it it's interesting and makes sense. Because if you're thinking about, like, why would the band suddenly be talking about all of this? Yeah. Why would they suddenly allow... Be very open. Yeah, uh, with this book or with this, like, th- these interviews. Like, why would they suddenly be telling their whole story and all these secrets? But if you think about it from the vantage point of, like, it's Julia, someone who is, like, very close to all of this. Yeah. Who they might be willing to, like, open up to. Mm-hmm. It kind of 
make it adds some clarity maybe to like that aspect of the story. Yeah, I agree. I like this reveal. Uh, so we talked about the show and how this yes. all goes down. Let's go to the book. And the book is a lot simpler. They don't have all the drama preceding their performance. They just have their performance. But as they're as Billy and Daisy are performing together, and of course we know that Karen and Graham are already like struggling, right? Yeah, yes. Both of them sort of realize that they can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like they're they're having this very intimate performance to one another and they just both realize like billy realizes i do love this woman and i don't know yeah what to do about that and daisy also realizes like yeah i love him and it's killing me yeah and i have to leave and so this is sort of a a moment where they come to a collective realization and billy ends up going (laughs) to the bar afterwards yeah and has a little sip of tequila little sippy but there's a man there that ends up distracting him enough that he's able to put the drink away. I kind of like this scene, him having this conversation with this guy. Yeah. And I think the guy, I don't know how much he knows about Billy. Yeah. Or his, like, sobriety or anything. I guess nothing. I guess they never did release that part of the article. So no. he wouldn't know. But I think the guy just kind of figures it out looking at Billy. And yeah, because Billy is like gripping the tequila <laughs> and like staring at it. And like smelling it. Yeah, and he's and, like, hey man, you okay? <laughs> yeah. And he like asks like, oh, you have a daughter, like do you have any photos? And when yeah. Billy pulls his wallet out, the guy kind of just takes the glass and puts it on the other side of the bar. Yeah. And kind of like saves him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this would have worked in the show. No. Kind of just having this random dude there. But I kind of liked it in the book a little bit. Yeah. Just kind of this random good Samaritan kind of like helping him through this moment. Yeah. And then we have a scene in the book where Camila actually goes to Daisy. And this is after, you know, Daisy has sort of had has the realization that she doesn't want to do this anymore. This is too hard. And Camila comes to her, goes to her hotel room, and she has Julia with her. This is the scene that Julia actually remembers happening. Yeah. And she says to Daisy, she says, look, he loves you. But he's not going to leave me. So you need to leave the band. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this scene is interesting. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know either because I think this is a good moment for Camila Mm -hmm. and her kind of being able to recognize what's happening and try to help see what's best for both Billy and Daisy and herself and be like, this can't go on. But I don't like it because it... Feels like she's just telling Daisy what to do, and then Daisy does it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> like, it's interesting that they're able to, like, talk about it openly. But, yeah, it just feels like her being in a non-aggressive slash aggressive way. Like, you need to, like, leave my husband alone. Yeah. And Daisy's like, okay. <laughs> and it's just kind of almost coincidental that Daisy just happened to have this epiphany yeah. at the same time that Camila was like, I got to get this bitch away from my husband. Yeah. I mean, she's acts like she's doing it for Daisy, but I'm like, yeah, but you're doing it for you. Yeah. Like this is your husband that you're like, get away from my, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like the book is trying to spin it too hard in like the, she's doing it for Daisy mm-hmm. direction that I'm like, I don't buy it. I uh, yes, <laughs> I completely agree. And I just love the scene though, in the show where Daisy is the one to tell Billy. No. Yeah. Giving her some autonomy and yeah. some power in that moment mm-hmm. to turn away from him and the drugs and that life. And we see in both versions that 
Daisy goes to rehab and she gets sober, right? Yeah. And this is a turning point in her life. And so I really like that she was able to make that choice in the show. And even though she does still make that choice in the book, I don't know. It's like... It's less impactful. Yeah. I think the book wanted some kind of scene that like, even though a lot of the book is obviously it's interviews and so it's able to depict things that the show couldn't really do where like, you know, they just have this performance and then they, they each have an epiphany on stage. Yeah. And they're able to describe it, but that's not very visual. You can't so, show that. Yeah. But given that, I think the book still wanted some kind of scene of conflict. Yeah. To kind of like send Daisy on her path forward. And so it kind of did this scene with Camilla. And I just don't know if it totally works or totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I liked it when I read it originally on my first read through but what i think when i saw it in the show i preferred that version yeah comparing it and i mean the same kind of thing happens like billy's like i can't do the band anymore karen and Graham are like we can't work together daisy is gone to rehab and then pete who is the guy that they left out of the show (laughs) is like i'm marrying my girlfriend and i'm also leaving the band (laughs) and in the show eddie leaves yeah. Eddie's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving. Yeah. Warren is the only one who's like, what the fuck's going on? I know. I thought we were all having a great time. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Poor Warren. Uh, it, it's just kind of a scene where just like, ev- like everyone is just like, it's all fucked. This is over. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So we kind of get a flash forward or like a recap of like where everyone ends up. Yeah. Their lives. What happens to them? You know, Eddie has a music career in the book. He's a producer and the show. He's in other bands. Um, so Warren stays in the music career, too. He, yeah. He becomes a uh, I forget the term. A session drummer. A session drummer. Thank you. Kind of like doing, you know, background drumming for like albums and stuff as as needed for different bands or artists. Yeah. Graham goes back to Pittsburgh, ha- meets a woman, has kids, has like a whole picket fence type lifestyle. Age is the most out of any of them <laughs> in the show, at least. <laughs> yeah. And I specifically just want to mention Warren because we didn't talk about him all episode. And it's not because we didn't want to. It's just we did not have time to talk about all the things we wanted to talk about in this episode. But he is just the comedic relief in the book and in the show yes he's just so good he's so funny he's also so weirdly insightful sometimes about the other characters but he gets a great story where when they're on snl he meets this actress and hits on her and she's into him and they get married (laughs) and have kids i know it's so cute i know i love i love that warren just had like the most complicated (laughs) storyline has this happy ending yeah yeah he and he totally deserves it he's such a and like you said he's weirdly insightful too like he was the one who seemed to see through uh nikki yeah like he was like oh this guy's like a con artist and like a piece of shit you know like just kind of could see things for what they were. Mm-hmm. Or like when Eddie was complaining about being in the band, Warren is like, listen, you're in one of the biggest bands in the yeah, world right now. why are you complaining? Why are you upset? Yeah. Like, I know you're not like the lead of the band, but like, who fucking cares? Mm-hmm. And then we get, you know, Daisy having a solo career we hear about. She ends up having a daughter, which is really cool that she felt, because she talked about being afraid to have kids, right? Because of the way she was raised. So we know that she was able to confront that. And then in the show, we hear about Billy going to rehab again, going to therapy. Going to therapy. Which I love. And that he won Camila back by showing how dedicated he was, right? Yes. There's also Karen. Yes. uh, Who also just continued 
her career in music Mm -hmm. and just kind of living her best life and, you know, I think made obviously the right choice as far as the abortion went. Yeah, she doesn't get married. She doesn't have kids. That's not what she wanted and that's not what she did. Yeah, and I really love kind of putting a bow on that and just like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was the right choice for years (laughs) and years. She didn't regret it. No. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, and we are, it's revealed to us that Camila passed away. Yeah. She had lupus, was sick. I like that the book actually gave her a disease. Of course, in the show, they're like, before... The illness. Yeah, and then she has like a wig, so like cancer? I don't know. (laughs) Before she became sick. You know, those classic lines. That also brings context to like maybe why Julia wanted to like document the history of the band in these interviews. Yeah, and we get this like closing moment where in the film or in the show she shows Daisy a clip of her saying like, you know, oh, oh, Daisy is uh, just a great person. She's a great artist. I was always her biggest fan. And she says, like, when I'm gone and, you know, your dad, when Billy's had time to process, tell him to give Daisy a call. Yeah. And tell know? Daisy to to listen. Yeah. Or to pick up the phone. And they owe me a song. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm slightly <laughs> mixed on this. I am, too. I like that. I like the idea of her suggesting... Billy and Daisy should reconnect. Yeah. Because they're both older. They've been sober. Yeah. They both had to go through what they had to go through. Yeah. Right. And you know that they're different people now. And so you're like, it would probably be much healthier between them. Yes. (laughs) However, I think the show at least leans a little too far into the idea like your dad and Daisy should get married now. Yeah. And they should totally bang. (laughs) And it's all and good now. And now that I'm dead, it's fine. It's totally fine. And I've given my blessing. Yeah. It, it feels like it's leaning more too far into the romantic aspect of that. Yeah. Whereas I feel like them reconnecting is good. And mm-hmm. I like that. But the show just like, just like it pushed it just a little too far. Yeah, I know? agree. I agree. Uh, but in general, <laughs> I, I like the idea. Mm-hmm. All right. That's that's the end. That's oh, it. I do want to talk about. We no, Adina, that's it. the end. <laughs> That's the end. We have to talk about this. We have to talk about the music in the show. Oh, my God. Yeah. We haven't talked about it at all. Yeah. They actually can't. I mean, it's funny because, you know, Taylor Jenkins Reid wrote lyrics and wrote like these songs for for her book. But obviously there's no music to them. And in the show, we actually have songs that were written. And there was a lot of music producers that ended up working on these songs and producing this album called Aurora. And some of the song titles are the same as the ones in the book, but the lyrics are totally different. And I really like that they were just like, that's nice what you did, but we're going to like do our own thing, you know? Yeah, like the main songs like Honeycomb and Aurora, those titles of those songs were at least the same, but I think the songs themselves were totally rewritten. Yeah, yeah. And um, there was one producer who did at least partial songwriting on all the songs. But then there were also a lot of uh, contributors like Marcus Mumford Mm -hmm. of Mumford and Sons wrote some of the songs. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers contributed. There's just a lot of other artists who contributed work to the album. Yeah. And then we have Sam Claflin and uh, Riley Keough, you know, performing and doing the singing on this. And I think they do a really good job. They do. Honestly. And I got to say, you know, the album isn't like groundbreaking, but the songs are really catchy and I've had them in my head because I've yeah. been listening to them. And then we were watching them in the show and seeing them performed. Like, I actually really enjoyed 
the music in the show. I mean, the I heard this album is like the biggest, how do I want to put it? fake album (laughs) (laughs) yeah in in like history you know like based off just a a show specifically by a fake band i think album by like a fake band Uh uh-huh uh even though no one will ever beat the sex bombs in my opinion from scott pilgrim (laughs) sex bombs for life uh i would need to listen to the album on its own more i think to decide like how i feel about it uh i think within the context of the show all the music like really holds up yeah as both like being symbolic of what's happening between the characters, but still feeling like, yeah, that would be a song on its own. Like I could imagine like, there's, yeah, there's some catchy hooks. Like, and I appreciate that it's not trying to be Fleetwood Mac. Like it's very different from Fleetwood Mac yeah, sound. Yes. So I like that. Uh, you know, we can make a good thing. Bad. Yes. Is good. Yeah. Uh, there's some other ones I can't think of off the top of my head. I really like River. Yeah. That's yes. the song that Simone ends up singing with them in that last show. Yeah. Very good. Um, regret me is, is okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. The honeycomb look at us now is so good. Yeah. There, there's some good music. Uh, I think they really did a pretty good job. Cause I mean, you need a lot of, they can't be playing one song. Yes. The whole show. The whole show. <laughs> I mean, for like a movie, you can get away with that a bit more like yeah. one, maybe a few songs. Uh, but for a show, you need a lot more. You do need like honestly a whole album of music Mm -hmm. and so i think they did a good job putting that together yeah okay now i'm done okay (laughs) now we can put a pin in it now let's talk about a bow on it which one is better fuck um this is a really tough one it is we talked about the book is really unique and interesting how it's solely interviews and so there's a lot of nuance and subtext between like what actually happened how characters actually felt like there's a lot of interesting components to that. Like Billy is the leader of the band. Was he kind of a controlling jerk? Was he just the natural leader? Yeah. Was Eddie being like unnecessarily pouty or did he have a legit point of view as to like Billy kind of blocking them out of the creative process? Like, I think there's a lot of nuance there that the show can't quite depict as well because it has to present this like narrative narrative that's like this is the truth right Mm -hmm. this is what actually happened you're seeing it so i really appreciate that about the book yeah i i want to say though that the chemistry of the characters in the show once daisy joins the band and starts bouncing off of billy the build-up between like all the dynamics like where the ninth episode leap ends with, like I know. everyone being on the plane. upset on this plane. I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to watch the next episode. Yeah. Like it's got great momentum. It improved on characters like Simone. I, I, I'm re- I think I'm leaning towards show on this. I think that I agree with you. I mean, I really loved the book when I read it and I think it's fun and it's a really cool way to write a story. And like you said, the perspectives are so fun to read about and how what people remember, especially thinking about it being like 40 years later and like. What do they remember? What's the truth? We can't we can't really know that for sure anymore. But like like you said, the show, uh, the dynamic between Billy and Daisy is just so complicated and so good. And it's so like you don't want them to be together, but yeah. you want them to be together. But you're like, they can't like they're bad for each other. <laughs> and the music, I love getting to hear the music and see them perform yes. and see their dynamics. Right. It's just it was really fun. And honest, I've never, my opinion on a show has never flipped <laughs> as immediately as it ha- did with this one. Yeah. Like, the first two and a half episodes, I was like, eh. 
<laughs> but then it's like halfway through the third episode that Daisy and Billy have scenes together. And immediately I was like, oh, their chemistry You're is like, so I good. You're like, I love this. This is so good. And yeah. like from then on, and like not only that, like the show wasn't plowing through as much backstory backstory and plot. Like scenes got room to breathe. Like you had just Billy and Daisy beginning to write together is a whole episode yeah. of just them getting to sit around, listen to music, talk. Like it felt like, okay, I'm actually watching these characters just exist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the show from that point on is so good that for me, it, it eclipses the book a little bit. Yeah. So it's a show from both of us. It's a show. Uh, let's do lightning round. Let's get into lightning. So first up for lightning round, I want to mention in the book, there's this whole subplot where Warren thinks that Karen is sleeping with one of the lighting technicians because he <laughs> hears her having sex. And he's like, I saw them looking at each other earlier and it was definitely them. But it's really Karen and Graham that are having sex. Yeah. And the whole time, Warren just thinks it's Karen and this lighting technician. And I love that he has this deep misunderstanding. Even like 40 years later, yeah. he still thinks that. And honestly, this is actually kind of a reference to the fact that in Fleetwood Mac, Christine McVie, who was getting divorced from her husband in the band, was having an affair or having a relationship. I guess if they were being divorced, it was like yeah. an affair with the lighting technician. <laughs> <laughs> and she like allegedly wrote the song You Make Loving Fun about him. So yeah. I love that little like connection there. Yeah, that's very funny. I, yeah, Warren is just <laughs> in these interviews. He's like, listen, I'll give you a, a juicy bit of gossip. <laughs> Meanwhile, Karen and Graham are discussing their relationship. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, speaking of Karen and Graham, their relationship's kind of interesting in the show because Graham's real hung up on Karen and he tells her about it and she's like, no. And then in the next episode, uh, she realizes that Graham has got a girlfriend now <laughs> and they go to the beach together and Karen seems to be maybe reevaluating Graham. Karen finds out that his girlfriend is, listens to Barry Manilow and likes him. And they get into this whole argument on the drive back where Graham is just so upset about this because he hates him. And like, he's like, why do you like it, though? And the girlfriend's like, I don't know. I just hear the song and it like makes me happy. And he's like, but it's it's not good, though. And uh, they get in this whole argument. And uh, that's when Karen decides to like, oh, I'm going to like seduce Graham, seduce Graham and like make out with him. And I don't know. I didn't love that part. No. So I was like, come on, Karen. Yeah. Like, make up your mind. I'm just now realizing that all of our lightning round things are about Karen and Graham or about Karen, um, which is so funny. But I just wanted to read this part in the book. And there were a lot of really great parts like this where it would go back and forth between characters. And it would the juxtaposition between what characters were saying right after another was very funny. Yes. Right. And there's this part where they're talking about Karen joining the band. And they're saying, like, Graham is saying Karen was a great addition to the band, and, and Karen's talking about it. And then we have Billy saying, Karen was just a great musician. That was all there was to it. I always say, I don't care if you're a man, woman, black, white, gay, straight, or anything in between. If you play well, you play well. Music is a great equalizer in that way. Karen. Men often think they deserve a sticker for treating women like people. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I love Billy going off and being like, I see everyone as yeah. equals, like, whatever. And then Karen being like, Ugh. oh, men just love to be clapped at for being the basic, decent human. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else I loved was um, a similar moment. I don't know where it's at in the book or else I'd read it. 
But, you know, everyone is just constantly in the book talking about how gorgeous Daisy is. They're like, oh, her red hair, her big eyes, like, and just every man is just like, oh, she was like the most beautiful person in every room she was in. You couldn't take your eyes off her. And then it gets to Warren and he's just like, eh. (laughs) He's like, "Uh, she's too flat chested for me. Like, I don't know. I'm not like he just like just is not attracted to her. And I love that. That like, yeah, Yeah. like no one's universally attractive. No. And I just love that Warren is the one who's like, "Ah, I don't know. I don't see it. (laughs) All right. That's lightning round. And that's our episode on Daisy Jones and the six. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with us. This is a really fun one to do. Um, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can become a patron. Join and our Patreon. Ask for episodes and we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> we have um Discord server for all our patrons too. And so you get, you know, episode requests, you get access to Discord, you get to support your favorite podcast. And we have over 50 episodes. <clears throat> my voice broke there for a minute. <laughs> over 50 episodes of uh, bonus episodes, which we come out with every month. Yep. Uh, so yeah, you get access to so much by becoming a patron. Uh, if you want to find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, find us on all those social media platforms. If you go to CoverToCredits.com, we have links to all those social media accounts. If you can leave us a positive star rating on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform that allows it. Also, follow us on Spotify, yeah. and you'll be notified about any new episodes that come out in the future. Yeah, I think that's about it. <laughs> I think that wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.